This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and your one-stop shop for optimizing all your office technology. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Is it caught? Is it caught? Oh my goodness, it's caught! DeAndre Hopkins caught it! He caught it for a touchdown! You've got to be joking me! Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Kyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the guys who cover the team. Drilled by Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is balling. Bring it on, bring it on. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. You know how you get home from a road trip, right, guys? And you unpack and inevitably you forgot something, whether it's the phone charger. You know, I mean, things you forget when you return from a road trip in a visiting hotel room for 500. I mean, what would it be? You know, the, maybe the running shoes under the bed or in the closet. You know, it's a certain item. I, I'm actually uh, pretty good about that, Paul. I got to be honest. Uh, when, the first thing I think of when returning from a road trip is I lost my suit. <laughs> Your the, suit? Well, it was on me. Okay. But uh, unfortunately, it's a, a suit that I've worn on the road for a couple of years now, and there was a there was a hole underneath the thigh that I'm kind of glad I saw now. TMI. Well, you couldn't see much. Okay. But it is Hello. it's probably beyond repair. So okay. lost the suit. I see. All right. Have you ever been undressed, so to speak, on on the road, Felipe? Uh, you, you lose just your. All your garments, uh, according to uh, Darren Urban. See, I, you're taking this out of context, and I'm very <laughs> uh, disappointed. I wasn't expecting At least that. I'm not leaving stuff in my hotel room, which I'll, apparently I'll, you are. I'll spare Felipe and you uh, any further. Where I'm going with this is I left my jaw in ah, Tennessee because it okay. fell down onto the sideline, and I never did pick it up. That's what I'm saying here off the top of Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation. I, I understand what you're saying now. That's a that's a pretty uh, pretty nice analogy. A right jaw dropping performance in week one was it not? In fact, I had this line. I was going to use this with Wolf in the coach's show, so I'll just bust it on now because it never really made sense. Because basically, Wolf never stopped talking. What Wolf had for dinner in Nashville is what the Cardinals served up on Sunday: Tennessee style smoked and shredded pork butt. <laughs> How about that for an opening line? How long did you work on that? I had that in the coaching show. Once <laughs> okay, again, I can never checking. get it in because it's only 30 minutes and I get like three minutes to talk. I, I it's it. just funny because on the morning scramble, our post-game show on Mondays, a day after every Cardinals game, Rolando Cantu actually brought on a breakfast sandwich with Nashville pulled pork. <laughs> and, he took a, and he took yes. a bite out of, it, out of right. it live on our stream. So I, it left me with that. We, that taste. we expect nothing less from the Cardinals' former O-lineman and uh, resident gourmet. Uh, what was the road trip, Jim Omohundro, where he brought on goat? He brought on a side of goat onto a Cardinals road trip on the way home. Was it from Houston or was it Mexico City? I don't remember what uh, what uh, trip it was, but I, I asked him, we're going down the stairs when we got back. I'm like, what are you carrying, dude? He goes, it's a goat, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, he was going to barbecue that up and I, you know, put that on the spit and right, just let that roast for a good eight hours. Great Rolando Contu food stories. Here we go. Uh, I work up on the third floor. Felipe might have been up there in the third floor when all this happened. I don't remember the timing of this. I uh, bet you Rondo's uh, lost o- a suit or two. O- over the years, um, w- those of us, because we're, we're kind of outsiders up there in the third floor, we're kind of our own little world. Uh, we will have. Uh, 
potlucks every once in a while, holidays, Christmas time, some other times. And one year for a potluck, and I don't remember what time of year it was, everybody kind of tr- tries to bring some stuff. And, and Rolando's always been really good to bring some uh, good good Mexican fare. And one year he said, I'm bringing carne asada. And that was cool enough as it was. But, like, he didn't bring it in, like, a Tupperware container. He brought the whole thing up that still needed to be carved up. And then he brought his special uh, gigantic piece of wood that he cuts it on you know you know when you, you get a <laughs> oh slice God. of a tree and okay. and, and it's like it's yeah. flat that he brought that up and that was his cutting board on the third floor i don't know if that's something proper to bring into work but he brought it into work and then when he fired up the chainsaw the security moved in is that what you're saying <laughs> my goodness it was good good wow. carne asada. if you guys ever want to have a good potluck or a good evening of food if there's someone to contact, it's probably <laughs> Orlando Cantu. He has all the all sorts of meats that some I don't even know he, what they he, are. He might have some uh, tequila too. Uh, right. That too. That too. I know he all tequila. All right. So. All right. We just totally drove Paul yeah. right off the he right off the, the rails. No. So w- let's get to this game. End of the game. You know, you think of everything that has to do with this game, and then I, I can't help but think of the Red Sea because by the end of the game, that's basically all that was left, Cardinals fans behind the Cardinals bench. And there were a few, it was a smattering of Titans fans still on hand, and there was a lot of snark flying around. And as the, Card- the victors go the spoils, Paul. Exactly, and as the players, I think at the two-minute warning, were sort of looking back at the at fans and all the Cardinal fans and admiring all the Cardinal jerseys back there. One Cardinals fan piped up with his big bellowing voice. He said, hey, is there any room on the Cardinals bandwagon? Because all these Titan fans need a new team to cheer for this season. And that sort of put the punctuation on everything. And you realize, wow, the Cardinals came. They saw. They conquered. Did they not? Felipe, you're batting leadoff. Give me your big takeaways from that win. I think, you know, Cliff Kingsbury gave a lot of game balls away after the game. You know, uh, Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, Chandler Jones, of course, and Christian Kirk. But... I was waiting for him to give Vance Joseph, you know, defensive coordinator, Mm. a game ball because he put on a show on the sidelines as a a coordinator and just everything that he was doing from, you know, the secondary and coming in had a a lot of questions and Byron Murphy, Marco Wilson, Robert Offer put on a show as well. That defensive line, you know, stopped being, you know, one of the top running backs in the game and Derrick Henry. So just on that defensive side of the ball, a great game plan from Vance Joseph. You know, after the game, Cliff Kingsbury on a radio side, he called it a masterpiece because yeah. I asked him about Vance Joseph's game plan because Robert Alford had said repeatedly during the week, I really like VJ's game plan. And what did we hear all week going into the game, right? On chase, on the national analyst, right? You're not going to be able to stop Derrick Henry without loading the box. And when you load the box, you're so hosed because they have A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. None of that materialized. No. And the, the job that they did on, on Derrick Henry was obviously amazing. And it just changed the complexion of the game. It changed the complexion of the crowd. Uh, you know, they we weren't again, it was probably 17 nothing at this point. But at one point in the first half, the Tennessee crowd started booing on a handoff. And I'm like, here's the guy just gained 2000 yards and you're upset because they weren't doing anything. It was it was amazing how the defense really turned stuff. And let's let's face it, guys, when it was over, this offense, Kyler Murray played in a fantastic game. It was amazing offensively. They looked like they were clicking, but for those first couple possessions, even though they scored, it was very disjointed with the penalties. It was the defense that that 
I'm not going to say kept the Cardinals in the game because they probably were headed that way anyways, but the defense getting off to the start they did really ratcheted down the any kind of trepidation you might have had with what the yeah. Cardinals offense, how they started. And there were more boos at halftime. 24-6, Titans are leaving the field, the home fans in the season debut. Uh, they're booing the home team. And if these numbers are still accurate, because I don't know if they change these once they go through the film, but the initial read was the Cardinals defense had, and uh, and I quote, six sacks, three takeaways, nine quarterback hits, eight tackles for loss, eight passes defensed, two forced fumbles, and two fumble recoveries. And oh, by the way, Derrick Henry, two words, one hyphen, non-factor. Non-factor. Complete non-factor. Non-factor. Julio Jones, I was joking with Wolf, and I was saying, you know what? They put the who into Julio Jones. He had three catches for 29 yards on six targets. Not a factor. No. He just wasn't. A.J. Brown had a nice grab and run. But other than that, and you know what? I'll be honest with you guys. Maybe my biggest takeaway was what I saw before the game kicked off. And it was the vibe. It was the intensity. It was this commitment to physicality. You saw someone with J.J. Watt, he was mic'd up, and what's been released so far, he went up to Isaiah Simmons, and he was pumping him up, and he said, look, I want you to be great. And, and there was a lot of stuff going down on that sideline. Look, if nothing else, you can be physical. You can out-hit the opponent. There's going to be some mistakes. It's week one, but do it 100 miles an hour. It's always a good podcast when Paul Cavici uses the vibe. You know, that really gets me going. There was a different edge down there, and it was everybody, including the head coach. Cliff Kingsbury has fielded a lot of questions about whether he had a different demeanor. And and he's battling back against that, and so are the players, Paul. I'm going to just say that for the record. When the players are asked about it, they're like, yeah, he was like this last year, and Cliff was just saying, you know, I mean – I'm just saying, Paul, there were a lot of your games last year. You were were up in the press box. No, that's true. That's true. Half of them I was in the front row and half I was in the press box. Uh, That's right. You got the front row for the uh, home games. I I will say this. I mean, if you put me on the witness stand and put me under oath, I would have to testify that there was definitely (laughs) an extra edge. Testify. I like it. To Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, Not only were the officials off the top, he was closer to B.A. than he was Cliff Kingsbury. I mean, just the way he was airing out the officials. And I'll give you another example. Um, and anyone could have seen this from the stands because I couldn't really hear what he was saying, but you could have seen it from the stands and hundreds of Cardinals fans witnessed this early in the game. Not only were there penalties, but there were substitution issues. And this yes. happens almost every year with every coach in every season opener. Somehow the players aren't on board with when they're supposed to be in with what package. I don't know how that happens, but it's not only a reflection on the player, it's a reflection on their position coach because that's the position coach's duty to make sure you have these packages set. Well, some got messed up, and some of those position coaches got aired out by the head coach like I've never seen before. And that's, and that's fair. And, and I think there was a lot of going on. I mean, there, was, there were other things with substitutions too. I, I definitely think, uh, and Paul, you could probably speak to this better because you were down there, but I, I also think there was a couple times, obviously the NFL rule is if you make an offensive substitution, the defense has to be given a chance to do it. I'm not 100% sure that every time the officials were standing over the ball that the Cardinals actually made any substitutions and they were still holding it for the Titans to do stuff. And I think that got under Cliff's skin a little bit too. Um, I could be wrong on that, but that's what it looked like. Uh, so between all that, again, it looks like the kinks of the first game. And, well, and another reason yeah. why I go back to why that, why the defense playing the way it did meant so much was because you did need to get through some of these things that, frankly, 
we can talk all day if they would have played in the preseason a bunch. Of, you weren't going to call those plays even no. if the players are playing. So no. it was always going to be that yeah. way. I always talk about, or I always think about when a manager in baseball gets ejected, the energy it injects into its into its roster. And I think that's what Cliff Kingsbury did for his roster on Sunday. You know, he injected an, a much-needed energy week one on the road. He was fired up. So as a player, I'm assuming they're looking at their head coach and they're saying, well, if he's fired up and making all these facial expressions and whatnot, why can't we be fired up as a team? So that's what I liked about Cliff Kingsbury. He set the tone, you know, before the game, in the first quarter, quarter early on, and, and it really paid off for the team I think that was the turning point for me just seeing uh, Cliff Kingsbury in an element that we haven't necessarily seen before at least from from the press box press box I haven't been able to see Cliff Kingsbury that fired up so that set the tone I'm curious for all the people um, and and I understand why I'm not saying I don't understand why they don't feel that why they feel this way but for all the people that were very anti-Cliff that have been a very anti-Cliff are you are you flipping? Maybe not completely. It's one game, but I feel like you've got to give the head coach some credit, not only because of the vibe, uh, but I did feel like he did some good things in terms of out coaching Mike Vrabel on yep. Sunday. And I'm curious if people are willing to give him that, or if if there's still that pushback of not wanting to admit. You know, in this case. Perhaps you you could be wrong, and and we'll we'll see where this goes. And if the Cardinals Cardinals still have a long way to go, we have a full ball. We still have a full normal NFL season to go. <laughs> know, Sixteen I games. So. I know, but you know what? I'm glad you cited that. I did a little reading from the Tennessee perspective and what appeared in some of their uh, publications. And in the Tennessee, and there was a big screaming headline: Titans outplayed, outcoached. And so, yes, I think that was a reflection, not only to your point, Felipe. Vance Joseph in that game plan, but the play calling, Darren, like you said, of Cliff Kingsbury, I mean, sideline, thoroughly enjoyed the megawatt touchdown. Cliff Kingsbury thoroughly enjoyed the megawatt touchdown. There's no doubt about that. But to me, it goes beyond just the coaches, because as we know, the players have been tasked, have been assigned the leadership roles and the accountability. And after the game, I sided with Christian Kirk and I said, look, I'll just say this, Christian, I'm not going to name names, but your quarterback held a few guys accountable who made a few mental errors. And Christian Kirk nodded, and he said, and I haven't heard him, him say this anywhere else, I, and I went and I got the quote. Jim Almondro sent it to me from the radio interview, and quote, that's something that we decided as a group coming into this year that we're not going to let that stuff slide, stuff that we might have let slide in the past. Now we're holding all, all, everybody accountable. That's Christian Kirk. And so I, I think it's every layer of what we saw in week one. It's not just the coaches barking because that'll be tuned out inevitably. It's the players buying into, you know what? That was the difference last year. Yeah. Right? And who was it recently said there was a complacency when they got to six and three? Kyler. Kyler himself, right? Last week. Yeah. So there's no doubt. And there's no doubt. Kyler yelled at a couple of key players on offense when they made mental errors, and those guys took it. They nodded and went to the bench, and their positions coach came in and kind of was the, the good cop to Kyler's bad cop. I, I think that's good. And I, I and I do think, you know, people want to talk about Kyler as leader, and there's a lot of different aspects to it. But to me, the the reality is is, is everybody on the same page. We're, we're not playing high school football. We're not playing college football. We're playing professional football. Everybody needs to be professional. 
Do you need to be held accountable? Yes. But if, if the quarterback gets upset because as a professional and making a large amount of money, even if you're minimum salaried and you make mistakes, you, you're going to get barked at tough tiddlywinks. And I, I feel like that's, I feel like that's an important part for any quarterback. Now he's got to be able to go back and not be that guy all the time, which I'm not saying I I'm guessing he can find that fine line between, you know, a pat in the butt and the, you know, sock to the mouth, you know, well, but I mean, I, I think that's important. Yeah. Well, and to your point, Paul, about just the play calling on Sunday from Cliff Kingsbury, we said it weeks in advance throughout training camp that Cliff Kingsbury finally has the personnel to do the things that he wants to do as a play caller. And I think we saw a lot of that in Sunday's win. Rondo Moore had a 80, you know, 80 point something great on um, pro football focus. Christian Kirk had an outstanding game. Obviously, DeAndre Hopkins is going to be D hop, but he finally has the pieces to get creative. You know, we saw a lateral pass with, you know, DJ Humphreys and Rodney, uh, Rodney Hudson out in the open field and making blocks and Rondo Moore had like a 20 yard gain on, on that specific play. And that's like, to me, that's what I've been wanting to see from this offense, that creativity, that Coming into Cliff Kingsbury's hire, a lot of people were praising, and finally he has the personnel to get creative, and we saw a glimpse of it on Sunday. Yeah, it's not just it's not just Christian Kirk inside in the slot yeah. where he's much better than as an outside receiver. It's not just the addition of Rondell Moore. I'd love to know how Rodney Hudson graded out because I didn't see any penetration up the middle, and on that play in particular, the uh, the, the Rondale Moore 20-plus yard wide receiver screen, he bolted up the seam, right, up the numbers. If you go back, that's one of the plays that we broke down on his coach's show, and I didn't realize this until our boss, Tim Delaney, pointed it out, and he sort of marked it up with the telestrator. It's one thing for DJ Humphreys to get out in space and get a block because it's to his side. Rodney Hudson <laughs> was all the way down the field and got a piece of a guy that helped spring Rondale Moore. That was a heck of a play by a center. Look, I agree with Felipe. I think that they've they've got some pieces offensively that I think Cliff is more comfortable with in terms of how he wants to run things. You know, I tweeted out at the time on that on the quick screen to Rondell Moore. They've run that quick screen a million times over the last two years. Yep. It looks different with Rondell Moore. So players matter. And so, I mean, when they threw it in the past, everybody's like, quit throwing those screens. <laughs> Nobody was saying that after the Rondell Moore play. So, yeah, players matter. And, and I think ultimately, you know, you get a guy like Rodney Hudson, who everybody said was going to shore up the middle of it. And then if he's doing the other stuff, there's a reason why he's considered one of the best centers. We, there's a long way to go, and nobody is going to sit here and say the Titans are one of the better defenses in the league. They're going to face a better defense this week against the Vikings. I don't know if it's a ton better, but you start looking at where this team is, and there was a little trepidation coming into the, into the season, guys, when you start looking at, okay, you got to open at Tennessee, not an easy game. The Vikings are a playoff contender, you would think, coming in. And you got to have them at home, and there's going to be the emotion of the Patrick Peterson stuff. Not me. I documented the Viking stink update desk since early that, August. That's just fine. to let okay, you know. You're all over that. And then, even though I figured Jacksonville wasn't going to be a very good team, it's still going to be a long trip and it's going to be a hot day. Now, all of a sudden, the way the Cardinals played in Tennessee, you start thinking, okay. 3 0 going into LA, baby. Minnesota at home, and then Jacksonville's not very good. And then, yeah, maybe all of a sudden you have this NFC West thing. Yeah. You know, I don't have to play the one game at a time thing because I'm not a player, so I'm going to go ahead and, and extrapolate out, <laughs> yeah. just like I'm talking about Chandler that's Jones right. having 85 sacks this season. But <laughs> that's right, you Darn know, tune. I mean, these are the things you yeah. look at. You know? I I jinxed 
the team last there year. There are no though, jinx, Felipe. Because Always remember that. I, I remember on the preview show of the morning scramble that I said this team on paper can go four and zero in those in those four first four games, and they actually started off two and two. So I'm gonna hold off on the yeah. licking down the schedule. There are no such things as jinx, Felipe. <laughs> That's right. Don't call me, Paulie. Pump the brakes. That's all about you right now, Felipe. The other thing. We've said here on Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, was the added personnel in the red zone, right? And if I'm looking at it correctly, memory serves, they were four out of five in the red zone. Well, guess what? Now when you have Rondale Moore and you have six foot four AJ Green and you have 230-pound-plus James Conner in the red zone and you've shored up the offensive line, and guess what? Chase Edmonds, who's going to get more snaps than ever this season, and he's got a nose for the pylon. Yeah, to me, the Cardinals do look like a different offense in the red zone. They were very effective, even though they went backwards after the first strip sack by Chandler Jones and eventually figured it out on the third and sixth with Kyler buying time. But So those were some of the new innovations I, I thought we saw out there. But once again, it was just it's just what I heard uh, on that sideline and, and just the willingness to say, okay, you know what, we're going to be physical. It's not going to be perfect. We're going to clean some of this stuff up on film on Monday, but anything and everything is going to be done 100 miles an hour and trying to just physically beat up and beat down the other team. And that's where I start with that win, and especially against the Mike Vrabel team, and that's what they're known for. And again, getting back to Cliff Kingsbury, if Pencil Knights like yours truly, and I asked him this on his own coaches show, do you believe that teams take on the personality of the head coach? And he said, yes. And I said, would the Titans be a great example? And I said, absolutely. I was a former teammate with Vrabel. You know, he's a dog. And so they play that way. Well, guess what? To one game into the books, and from what I witnessed, Cliff Kingsbury embodied a little bit of that. A little bit. I, I will say that to a point. I, I think they were a better, more physical team than they have been, I, especially defensively. I mean, offensively, I didn't, I didn't see. I mean, their running game didn't do much in the first half. It was absolutely split off of what they were doing, passing the ball. And I thought the passing game looked a lot like last year's, other than the fact that you had different guys catching the ball. But I didn't think there was a whole lot of change there. I will say this: there was absolutely, and not that they used a ton of it, but there was absolutely more in snap motion that there has been in the past. It does look like Cliff Kingsbury has tried to incorporate that more. Thank goodness. I think that's a really good thing. And when you got a guy like Rondell Moore, that doesn't hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I didn't think, I didn't feel like when they did run the ball, they looked physical, but I didn't feel like they all of a sudden are this physical offense. I, that's how, that's how I saw it. And, and when they're where, and when they're in the red zone as an opposing defense, who do you, focus on who do you key in on do you, you can't obviously you're gonna key in on deandre hopkins but now you have christian kirk in the slot which he caught two touchdowns in the in the red zone so i think he him winning his matchups made it easier for cliff kingsbury in the red zone but just looking at at this roster like who do you key in on obviously kelly murray had a you know that that fake handoff and he ran it in himself you have aj green on the right side christian yeah. kirk as a as an opposing defense, who do you key in? Uh, I, I what's what I'm curious about, and maybe you guys don't agree with this, but I'm like, I I would like to see inside the five, like we still haven't seen like a handoff, and you're going between the tackles. We haven't seen that. We saw a, a play fake. Kyler Murray ran it in. That's a great play. That's cool. There's nothing wrong with that. And then the other chance they had in close, they messed it up because of penalties, and they. Let's face it, they they got bailed out 
on a broken play for the other touchdown when when they should have they probably should have been held to a field goal. What was the number? How many times was Kyler under center? Ten times. Total. Ten times. Did that happen in the red zone? Because I, to Felipe's question, if I'm a defensive coordinator, you might want to start with Kyler. He was and well, just the ten rushing touchdowns he had a year ago. Well, he was he well he was under. I can't remember if he was under center for the uh, the megawatt play. I'm not sure if he was. I can tell you the. I think he was actually. That's the fake. That's the fake when he ran it in. Okay, so he was under center there. Yeah. Yep. And then he was definitely under center uh, right after the Corey Peters touchdown got called back, and he was under center, and they were going to do it, and then Darrell Daniels jumped. Yeah. And they had got yeah. moved back to the five, yeah. but he was under center. They were going to run it there. I don't think there's any question they were going to hand a pride to James Conner. I believe he was in the game, and it would have been interesting to see. And I think, quite frankly. Given the emotion of the moment, I think James Conner scores on that very first play if Darrell Daniels doesn't jump. Yeah. By the way, on the megawatt touchdown, the Cardinals were on the end of the field opposite from the Cardinals' side of the bench, right? So, and I and during that drive, they're starting to get down to the red zone, and J.J. Watt comes down to that side of the field where only the players are standing around Cliff Kingsbury waiting to check in if their package is called, et cetera. I'm like, well, why is 99 down here? I'm like, oh, maybe he's just cheering on the fellas. Then <laughs> you realize, okay. He trots out there with Lecky Fotu. And, and, uh, but how about Corey Peters not giving those guys much cred in the D-line room because they didn't actually hit anybody. They, they were just decoys. So uh, Corey I, Peters says they still have a lot to prove, apparently, on offense. i got to be honest. I love the J.J. Watt wired when he's coming in and they're talking about it after and, he's, and he was talking to Lecky and he was like, yeah, I thought they were going to run behind us. So I guess, I guess that yeah. was a – Kyler checks out and takes whatever's there. So – and then uh, I think he followed up with the conversation with Humphreys, and he's like, I don't know what I was doing. And DJ was like, I don't know what I'm doing half the time uh, either. So that was a funny interaction. Well, and, you know, it was great to hear that on Wired because on the sideline, I'm like, yeah, you just reading the body language. I'm like, I think they're talking about the fact they had no idea that Kyler was going to keep it. No, that's what I'm, yeah. Yeah, so it just enhances their ability to sell it. They really think it's coming over the left side and they're going to be paving the way. Nope. Kyler pulls it and there's the naked boot to the pylon. And so, uh, yeah, that was, uh, and look, as far as Kyler goes and as far as Cliff Kingsbury goes and the Arizona Cardinals, would you call this the most complete game of the Cliff Kingsbury era? There have been some big wins, including the season opening win a year ago on the road at the defending NFC champion Niners. Obviously, the win against the Seahawks at home in primetime and overtime. But the most complete victory, yeah. it would have to be the win no, at it, Tennessee. The, the win last year in San Francisco to open the season was very disjointed, I felt. like They got off to a slow start, and if they hadn't gotten that block punt early yep. in the game... I think there's a chance that game got to, gets away from them because offensively they really struggled early in that game. Um, that They did not have struggles offensively other than the penalties. I mean, you take away the penalties, they I think they would have absolutely – not that they didn't destroy yeah, the Titans, yeah. but it, it would have been worse. Yeah. Well, they're a missed field goal away from putting a 40-burger on the board. And uh, and so I don't think – and the Seattle game was, was very much back and forth. Defensively, they were not nearly as good in that game. Uh, you know, offensively, if you're talking about, you know, that. So I, I think I think that was absolutely the most complete game. Now, again, we don't know the opponents. And if you go through the history of the NFL over the last 20 years, especially these first two weeks have a tendency to, to throw out some really crazy results that when you go back and look later, I thought somebody I heard somebody talking and I can't remember if it was on uh, 98.7 or if it was a national thing. But uh, they were talking about, hey, can you remember a 
good team getting waxed in the week one uh, as much as uh, the Packers did uh, against the Saints. And I'm thinking, oh, ye of short memories. Now, again, we're talking 17 or 18 years now, but the Patriots lost week two to the Bills 41 nothing in a year they ended up winning the Super Bowl. So, again, you know, the first funny. two weeks, the things are going to be different by December. It's funny you bring that up because just earlier today, Scott Pioli was on NFL Network, and he cited that season because right before the season began, three, four, five days before kickoff, they released Lawyer Malloy. Yes, and, and everybody saw, said all the everybody yeah. was saying, "Hey, yep. you know, it's a revolt by the Patriots right. on Bill Belichick." Negative yeah. energy in the locker room. Guys didn't come out to play. Maybe some of that's going on in Green Bay. Who knows right now exactly? Are you stressed out about that? Well, would should the Packers be stressed out about that performance? <laughs> Well, I mean, I mean you, it's you can't Aaron be Rock. you can't be happy, and and the reality is, and I don't want to get too far off topic here because yeah. we haven't even talked much about Chandler Jones yet. But I mean, with the Packers, I mean, two years ago, part of the reason they drafted uh, uh, the kid Jordan Love, Jordan Love, is because they saw some things in Aaron Rodgers' game that started slipping. Now he came back with a vengeance last year. But he played better last year than he had the previous two years. So is it possible last year was an anomaly? Now, I don't want this getting back to Aaron Rodgers because he'll be pissed at me. But uh, <laughs> oh, you have that well, connection with them. Well, wow, I, don't know, hey, I, I know the, enough hey, people that know him. The only thing worse than Aaron Rodgers' performance and his stats was the body language in that game. So, yeah, that more might portend the worst. We'll see. And, by the way, uh, they're coming to town Thursday yeah. night football, week eight, yep. Cardinals and Packers. We'll see what the Packers are all about by then. Uh, as for Chandler Jones, yes, it's been we've been remiss in not getting to Chandler Jones we quicker. Uh, I think the uh, do you see the wire there, Felipe? I'm, I'm now going to do a dramatic uh, reenactment. Excuse me, excuse. Are you serious? Are you serious? Who was that in the wired? JJ Watt, and J. J. I think Watt. didn't Chandler reply by saying, "Got to be legendary." Got to <laughs> yeah. be legendary. He said that a few times yeah. over the years. And he said I, he you hasn't are said being. it to us lately because yeah. we haven't talked to him. He but. said, "You are being legendary yeah. right now." I think was JJ Watt's response, which was accurate. I mean, come on now, five sacks. He would have had more. He almost had two more at the very end. He yeah. almost got there in his last two pass rush attempts. Then they benched him. They said, "No, you're good. Get out." And uh, I mean, just uh, honestly. It's become more impressive in the hours since I've been removed from the game. There's so much going on, just the magnitude of the moment, the big win, and you're doing the post-game interviews, and we're all hustling to get on the team playing. It's only now that it goes, wow, we all just witnessed a five-sack game where he was literally unstoppable. And remember, guys, last month during Cardinals camp, sources close to Chandler, had told me because Chandler hasn't talked to the media if he was going to use one word on how he feels right now. Unstoppable was that word. Well, he spoke it into existence. Now look, I, we've we've said this a few times over camp and over the off season, Paul. I mean, there was there's a couple things at play here. One, he's in super amazing shape. Buddha Baker said the other day. Uh, I believe it was Buddha um, where he was saying this, or maybe it was Chan, uh, Chase Edmonds actually. Chase Edmonds was saying this that uh, that this is personal for Chandler, and there's nothing wrong with that. He wants a contract extension. He feels, I'm sure, disrespected as much as somebody with millions in the bank can be disrespected. Um, and and I get that. I I I don't blame him um, at well, all. He also cited the NFL top one on 100 yes. list, and he was completely omitted. 
And and that's and that you know because he was hurt all last year. And and let's face it, if he had played all last year, there's a chance he already would have that extension. Part of all this is because of the horrible timing of the one injury he's had in his career. And unfortunately, it came right before his final year of his contract. So there was always going to be, in my opinion, this need for the Cardinals to see him play. Now, they've seen one game. It certainly seems like he's just doing just fine. And and if he's going to play like that, not that he doesn't always, and he's not going to get five sacks every game, but uh, he was... He was ridiculous. I mean, that was and, – and you talk about being able to see stuff later, watching some of the ISO cams on on Chandler Jones and, and doing some of the things he did. And the explosion he has, once he beats the blocker, or in the case of the first sack, when they don't choose to block him at all, crazily enough. Um, I got a theory on that, by the way. I'll share with you in a the, minute. Uh, the speed at which he gets to the quarterback – I got a quick anecdote – so I'm sitting in the press box, and to my left are uh, donuts. F- four, four Titans beat writers. Uh, a couple of them I, I I know, and they carried on basically a running dialogue all through the game. It was kind of entertaining. It's all from the Titans end, and it wasn't obviously very flattering about the Titans most of the game. But that play where Chandler got his first strip sack, um, uh, Julio Jones was out on an island against Byron Murphy, and as they came out. A couple of them are like, there it is. There's your one-on-one. You got to go to Jones right now. You got to go to Julio. And I, in my head, I'm not saying anything, but in my head, I'm like, well, Byron Murphy's been playing pretty well. I, if I'm the Cardinals, I'm okay with that. But when they ran the play action and Chandler Jones comes screaming off the left side, oh, and we've decided we're going to pray that he takes a false step for a run defense and buy the play action to give uh, Tannehill enough time. And, oh, by the way, he didn't. So he's running like... Usain Bolt down right towards Tannehill's rib section. And I'm thinking to myself, how do you leave him? Um, you know, it's one thing. I'm sure the Titans were thinking, there's our one-on-one coverage. We'll get the play action. And Chandler Jones has never let it be a thought. I mean, it was crazy. There was a couple other sacks where Chandler Jones got. It wasn't just the pass rush. He got a couple sacks when Tannehill actually started his motion, decided that guy's not open, pulled it back down, and Chandler Jones got the sack. So I don't want anybody thinking the cornerbacks did nothing out there. But that first one, that was all Chandler Jones. And my theory is that because the Titans are in the same division as the Houston Texans, when they looked at the Cardinals' defensive front, they thought, we have to stop 99 first, and we're going to stop J.J. Watt. Because J.J. Watt seemed to have more attention paid to him than 55. And they never adjusted. They never gave the left tackle any help whatsoever. Was was I wrong? I could have sworn I saw one. And it might have been one time, and it might have been a, a moment at a play. I thought one time they had three guys blocking J.J. Watt. Yeah, there's a moment where they were both on – when Jones and J.J. were on the same side of, of the defensive line, and there was three guys trying to protect both of them. And – I think I think Chandler still got through some way somehow. I could have sworn I saw Watt with three guys. And what's funny so, about so that, that is so that bolsters my theory. Yeah, that, absolutely, it's my point that they're used to JJ Watt but, just crushing their whole line every what's year. What's funny is, and it might have been in the end, and I don't remember the timeline. Did not Vrabel play with Chandler Jones too? In at, New the, at the end of his in New England. 
I, you know, it's, it's a, it's a good thought. Remember, I honestly don't know. I don't Vrabel's know. Timing. But once again, you have J.J. Watt, who had a heck of a season last year, under the radar to be sure with a bad Houston team. But guess what? Tennessee knows what he's all about, and they know what he's all about for a good decade because yeah. they play him twice a year. And there's Chandler Jones, who missed almost all of last year. He's not in the top 100 list. J.J. Watt was at 66 or 69, something like that. And so all of a sudden, incomprehensibly, they forgot about Chandler Jones. I mean, the first play of the game, he had the tackle for loss. Taylor Luan went on Twitter and actually apologized to Titans Nation for stinking up the joint. The whole thing was just hard to figure, and Chandler Jones was absolutely loving it, coming back to the bench, standing on the bench, saluting the Red Sea behind the bench. It was crazy. They never adjusted either. Like. They never no. tried to double team. By the way, Mike Vrabel was retired long before Chandler Jones okay. got in the lead, so that was just stupid of yeah. me. Sorry. I mean, Christian Kirk, after the game, I had asked him about it. His quote was, Chandler Jones might have put on the best football performance I've ever seen in my life. And I thought about that later. I said, you know what? For everything it was, I probably didn't give it enough credit when we were talking about it after the game. He had five sacks. He had two forced fumbles. He had six quarterback hits. He had six tackles and four tackles for loss. And I think did he not? I think he might have drawn a couple of false starts, too. He did. Two false starts. He drew two false starts. Correct. And if there's someone that was going to benefit from Chandler Jones, from J.J. Watt signing, it was always going to be Chandler Jones. I mean, the attention that J.J. Watt brings as an offensive lineman, who are you going to slide over to protect? Where are your slide protections? Are you going to go more towards J.J. Watt and leave Chandler Jones with one-on-one matchups, which didn't necessarily work out for the Titans' offensive line on Sunday. But just his length, his ability to always play with leverage, his length uh, at that position just benefited him immensely that on Sunday. There's a couple of slow-mo shots uh, from... So when you're facing the backfield of the Titans, so you're kind of seeing off Jones's right shoulder off uh, those scenes... His ability to dip under the block and then like turn his back. So there it's like all the guy all all Luan would have been able to do is push him in the back. And he couldn't even do that. That that I don't I don't even I don't even know what to call it. That ability to turn I, that was just crazy to me. And oh by the way, I just want to stay for the record, because I've heard from a couple people and you talked about JJ Watt. They're like, oh, he had two sacks or two, no sacks and two tackles. He didn't do anything. That dude absolutely had a great game. I mean, I was watching him. He had a great game for what they're asking him to do. He was actually he was a huge, definitely a huge part of what happened. Hey, and how much a part of Chandler Jones' historic day was J.J. Watt and the two of them pushing each other? I think that's very real. That dynamic. Uh, it was told to me that Chandler Jones was very aware of J.J. Watt's career sack total. <laughs> you guys see- very aware of that well guess what he now leads him by wait for it one because he had five sacks just enough to eclipse him 102 to 101 in career sacks Chandler Jones now with the clubhouse lead do you guys think Bench Joseph has that like a paper somewhere on a wall that's, that has both of their names <laughs> maybe, oh, maybe. Chandler Jones one uh, below JJ I'm, I'm gonna there? guess no because he knows that these two guys probably already have it it's like Larry Fitzgerald knowing his stats I bet you these guys know so now JJ Watt's saying okay we're going against Minnesota and uh, you know what Vance put me on the other side because all the attention is going to be to Chandler's side after yeah. that game now I want to eat I'm going to get home and by the way wasn't there a next-gen stat analysis of pro football focus that Zach Allen 
was actually the second most effective pass rusher in terms of QB pressure rate. Now, he didn't get home. I didn't see that. He didn't bring down the quarterback, but Zach Allen actually graded out very high. And we said in the pregame, when you have a D-line rotation six deep, this is minus Jordan Phillips right now, but right, they went in with six, and it was hot, and it was humid, and of course the visiting sidelines in the full sun the entire game, and the fact they were able to rotate those guys in wave after wave, I think went a long way. No, I... Look, everybody was wondering about the defensive line. We're one game in, but you got to like what that defensive line did. I mean, Corey Peters was effective. Lawrence was effective. I thought Fotu played solid snaps when he was in there. Um, And they don't need a ton because, you know, when teams are in passing situations, they're only going to put two defensive linemen out there because they're going to have a couple other linebackers on the edges. And then you throw out Zayvon Collins and – Jordan Hicks and Isaiah Simmons and all of a sudden this front seven's like whoa this is uh, you can see where the pass rush is coming from and I know Chandler Jones was the one who blew up this this day but I would if I'm Vance Vance Joseph I'm super excited about what I can do pass rush wise with everybody on this team and what people are going to have to worry about because you're right Chandler Jones is going to start getting a lot more attention and that's going to open stuff up for a lot of other people. So in honor of Nashville, I came up with some revised country music song titles. I don't listen to country poems. Oh, come on, Felipe. Billy Ray Cyrus, Achy Breaky, Titans O-Line. I came up with some revised song titles. Uh, didn't... So you're going to go straight back like 20 years for your titles? <laughs> well, these were all-time famous country uh... song titles that I Googled up. Uh, I did try and keep to 2000 or sooner. Got it. Just ones you would recognize if you're any. Uh, Felipe is not a country music fan, and I don't exactly call myself a fan either, but uh, have you ever heard the Zach Brown band with uh, Chicken Fried? I think yep. it was the number one. Well, Chicken Fried, Tale of the Wand. I, I just, you know, just revised a couple of these song titles just for, you know, the whole Nashville vibe over there. You know, there was uh, Eastbound and Touchdown, you know, the uh, the theme from Smokey and the Bandit. It's way before Felipe's time. I've seen from Felipe. By the way, have you, have, do you know who Rod Tidwell is? Nope. <laughs> oh, no. That's it. When you said, when you said yeah. country, I was hoping yeah. for, like, Luke Bryan, Thomas mm-hmm. Rhett, you know, yeah. some of the most, sure. some of the more, you know, yeah. those artists that just came yeah. about in the last How about Chris years? Stapleton? He's current. There was a, he's got a famous song, Tennessee Whiskey, so I just changed it to Tennessee Whiskey for all the Titans fans. That's what, uh, that's what uh, <laughs> we changed that one up over there, so... Uh, it was a bad. That's Jack Daniels, isn't it? It was a long day for uh, for that. By the way, uh, who would we miss here? How about DeAndre Hopkins and Christian Kirk? Can we get a word on them, Felipe? Two touchdowns apiece, and when it comes to degree of difficulty on some of those catches, wow. Uh, that has to get the attention of a Mike Zimmer right about now. And DeAndre Hopkins is always going to, well, for the most part, he's always going to put up a good performance. I mean, he's DeAndre Hopkins, arguably the best wide receiver in the NFL between him and, and Devontae Adams. But Christian Kirk, Christian Kirk, man, he came into the season with, it's like a prove-it year, similar to Challen Jones. He's trying to get uh, that payday, that contract extension. He mentioned it uh, before the season that he was motivated by his contract year, but he's excelling in winning his matchups. And week to week, he's always going to get your second, third best cornerback uh, sometimes the third, like we saw on Sunday, because they were still focused on AJ Green to an extent, and he took advantage of those matchups. and I and I think he's finally found a home at that slot wide receiver uh, position. And, and it, it made me laugh that Kyle Odegaard actually tweeted, you know, I know Larry Fitzgerald's an icon, but he got he, some heat for that. Yeah, tweet. he got some heat, but they, he mentioned something about Larry Fitzgerald kind of handicapping this offense last year, and Christian Kirk, you know, took that 
you know, took advantage of the of those opportunities in that as a slot wide receiver, and he blew up. I mean, he finished. For those people that play fantasy, he was the tenth best fantasy wide receiver. He had he was the fourth best wide receiver in terms of Pro Football Focus with the eighty four point two grade. Just an outstanding performance, and I hope I hope he stays healthy because I think that was an issue in, this, in the in the past two seasons. He, his inability to stay on the field, but when he's on the field, he's a weapon. He needs to stay on the field, and I also think you know the the second touchdown was a great example. That's a catch that, let's face it, Christian Kirk hasn't always made when there's contact at the point of the catch. Can he hang on? And uh, and he did that. As great as that Willie Mays over the shoulder catch was. Uh, for the first touchdown, I feel like the second one was better. And it wasn't even close to me. It was an incredible play under pressure on the near the boundary. So he had to watch where his feet came down, make the catch with the guy hanging on him. I just thought that was an incredible play. By the way, the Willie Mays catch he said he made in practice, and guys were calling him Willie Mays in practice yeah. because they, they ran that a few times. That was that was interesting. And the fact he didn't lose that in the sun was remarkable. He said no, he had it from the moment Kyler let go of it and just had to wait for it to come down. Now, if Kyle was here, uh, what do I do, me and Kyle? We disagree. So uh, I, I would like to just point out a couple of things about the whole Larry situation. <laughs> Number one, uh, the reality is Larry didn't get as many snaps – as I think he wanted last year. There were a lot of times where Christian Kirk was in the game and Larry was not. To me, the big difference with Christian Kirk is when he's in the slot or not. But when he's in the slot yes. and you have actually another viable threat outside, like you said, Felipe, and you're getting the third corner or they view you as the third receiving option, uh, that's very beneficial for a Christian Kirk because, for example, the Dallas game when he went off, Almost the entirety of that game, he operated out of the slot, which is what he said in yeah. the Big Red Rage a couple weeks ago. He said, that's what I'm used to. That's what I feel comfortable in. That's where I'm really suited. That's what I ran at Texas A&M. And then him and Kyler, because they have that experience, going all the way back to college with Kyler at the queue and then him in the slot, I, I think that's a big element of his success. Right, but I think that was the point that Kyle was trying to make. Even if Larry wasn't in the slot all the time, he was taking – that's where Larry was playing when he was on the field. So, it, it always reminds me of in baseball when you walk a batter and you and – and you're the next one up. You kind of take offense to that, right? Like, oh, you're gonna wa- you're gonna walk that guy to get to me. You think I'm the the easier out? I feel like Christian Kirk thinks that way to an extent. Oh, you're gonna put your th- your third best cornerback on me? Bet easy right. money. And he he went off on Sunday. That's fair. No, I guess my point was that Christian Kirk was ahead of Larry Fitzgerald in the pecking order. So uh, yeah, I'm, if I'm not he's sure. Playing outside, it, it doesn't. It, it wasn't either or. You see what I'm saying? It was it wasn't Larry usurping. Christian Kirk snaps but 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 he's not but I think the point that Kyle was making wasn't that he's usurping the snaps it's just that I mean if we go break down Christian Kirk played way more outside than inside last year right uh I don't know I honestly don't know I think he did I, I would have to check but I feel like he was outside more often than not so his point was that Larry was keeping Christian Kirk from playing inside yes not specifically, but he said... He didn't see, say see, that specifically. I, I would disagree with that because there were tons of times where Larry was just sitting there on the sideline longing to get in that game, and he wasn't, and Christian Kirk was. But that's just me watching from behind well, we the backs of all later. those guys. But um, Okay. Uh, what else? Uh, how about the... Uh, how about those the defensive backs? As long as we're talking about DBs, I mean, uh, Marco Wilson... Hey, solid. You know, and and he'll tackle. Same with uh, a Byron Murphy. You know, some 
Very solid tackling. The tackling in general, I was terrified of this element going into the game. Number one, it's just week one across the league. Tackling is usually awful because you can't really you, – you don't. You just don't practice open field tackling in August. You don't yeah, do it. But even like the 19-yard run by Derrick Henry where he got loose and he was untouched for much of that, it was a sure tackle in the open field by Jalen Thompson to hang on for dear life, but he brought down King Henry. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, I feel like when you start looking at this defense – I I don't I can't think of any part of the defense that I was like, "Yeah, that's not good." I mean, the the one play that catches you in your in your head a little bit was when Byron Murphy got burned on the flea flicker. And and he still showed incredible closing speed to get back there and and get it. So, think about that. Their two best plays on offense arguably were the flea flicker and the fake punt. Yeah. I mean, now in the end in garbage time there was a 19 yard run by Derrick Henry I get that but mm, really that doesn't matter in the in, when the game was hanging in the balance yeah. their two best plays were trick plays even and I would even go back to like when they scored their first touchdown on the Tannehill one year yard run I still take that as a win in a lot of ways they they stoned Derrick Henry from one yard out two times in a row and then it took Tannehill this like little delayed scramble and yeah he got in but like that would have been interesting had he not and it wasn't it wasn't like it was a given so I even like that sequence even though the Titans got a touchdown out of it what I don't think any of us expected were the number of snaps that Jordan Hicks got and the fact he was wearing the green dot yeah and calling that defense so I mean I I sort of anticipated it because the green dot or him playing him playing him playing a lot just because yeah i I agree just because of you know the nature of okay it's derrick henry you kind of get flashbacks from week one when raheem oser uh burned isaiah simmons do you want to put zayvon collins in that position with that responsibility responsibility in week one but just what they were presented you know you have derrick henry who's your better run stopper it's jordan hicks or you haven't necessarily he, seen Zayvon Collins in action, but Jordan Hicks is more comfortable in, in well, that role. See, I, I think – see, I guess what I'm – I thought Hicks was going to play a lot, where I was a little surprised with how little Zayvon Collins ended up playing. I mean, he ended up only playing 22 snaps, Yeah, I 22 think. snaps. 22 really? defensive snaps out of 65 or 69 or something like that. And he seemingly played less as the game went on. Well, he definitely played less as the game went on. So I don't know if that's because there was a mistake made or they just realized we needed – we got such a big lead. What part of it might have been, which you're still making the decision, I'm going to play Hicks over Collins, but essentially what ended up happening was you did such a great job you know, making sure Derrick Henry didn't do anything that you were going to be locked in nickel coverage the rest of the game, so you needed three cornerbacks out there. So who are you taking out of the game? It's not going to be Isaiah Simmons. So now your choice is, is it Zayvon Collins – or is it Jordan Hicks? And they chose to take out Zayvon Collins. That's Paul, that's interesting to me. Paul, you had a theory early on, right? And I have a theory myself. So if you look back on Sunday, there was three players that really, you know, showed out. Challenge Jones, Christian Kirk, and Jordan Hicks. What do they all have in common? They were the team captains walking out for the coin flip? Close. And Close. Two of the three. But Jordan Hicks actually walked out for the coin flip. Anyway. They all have something to prove this year. And I think Jordan Hicks used the, you know, that drama, so to speak, that happened during the offseason in the NFL draft when Kime said, all right, we're going to start Collins out the get-go. I think he used that to his advantage. He used that as, as fuel. He said, all right, 
you want to bring in this rookie? I'm a Super Bowl champion. No disrespect to him. And they both talk highly about each other, Zayvon and Jordan. But I think he used that to his advantage. He came out in week one throughout training camp. He, you know, he sucked it up and he performed uh, at a high level. And even in week one, coming out and taking the, the responsibility to stop Derrick Henry, I think that says a lot about Jordan Hicks. But they all have, that's my theory. They all have oh. something in common. Jordan, yeah. uh, Jordan Hicks, Christian Kirk, and Chandler Jones, and they all stepped up on something. And we heard what Cliff Kingsbury said about Chandler Jones and Jordan Hicks, that they were the two best players in Cardinals camp. And if you were out yeah. there, it's hard to argue otherwise. And I would agree with that. And every time Jordan Hicks made a play, and he was out there every single day, unlike Chandler Jones, who was dealing with injury, and he wasn't out there a lot. But Jordan Hicks would make a play, and he let everybody know. He made a play in camp. He was very fired up throughout the entirety of August. The, the question becomes, okay, they play Derrick Henry this week. They're going to play Dalvin Cook next week or this coming game. You know, what happens when you start playing these teams with – you're, you're not necessarily defending them in the same kinds of ways. And there, we are going to see teams like that. I don't think they're going to offend the Rams quite the same way or the 49ers, especially the Mostert out now. Um, and so then what happens to the playing time? Does is Jordan Hicks stay in there? Uh, does Zayvon Collins start playing more? Uh, it, it's going to be fascinating to watch how this unfolds. Especially if you have to worry about the tight ends and the running backs in the, in the passing game, which didn't really material. Obviously, Titans don't have that same tight end room that they've had in the past. But, yeah, Sean McVay is going to present an interesting dilemma. Is Jordan Hicks the guy? Because you want to think her with a Sean McVay uh, offense and you want an experienced middle linebacker but then again it's great to have a middle linebacker who can run sideline to sideline and could go down the field in coverage as well so very intriguing as to which way they go but yeah I mean to see Jordan Hicks go out for the opening coin toss and then play 90 percent of the game or whatever it was and have him on the field in the second half for most of those snaps him and Isaiah Simmons that's not what we expected when this whole thing started when the Cardinals reported to training camp. Not at all. And to your point about the Rams, how it's good to have someone like Isaiah Simmons on, on your team. On Sunday, he played 16 snaps at slot corner. Isaiah Simmons did. So think about when you're going to play a team like the Rams, you still have Isaiah Simmons out on the field. And I think for the most part, if you have, if, if you line him up against a tight end, he's going to win those matchups for the most, for the most part. So he, he gives VJ... Uh, the flexibility, again, similar to Cliff Kingsbury, he finally has personnel to get creative defensively. Now you have Isaiah Simmons, Zayvon Collins, and Jordan Hicks at your disposal. How are you going to play them? And even even on uh, in week two, you're going to see Dalvin Cook catch some passes out of the backfield, but you can still run Isaiah Simmons, Zayvon Collins, and Jordan Hicks out there at the same time. So I, I did like how Simmons played. I thought Simmons played a fantastic game, and he's night and day from where he was. Week one last year, that interception. Who who would who would catch that pass? If me and Darren were going up to get that, you're that Buda Baker and I'm Isaiah. Yeah, I'm, I'm Buda gonna Baker. run. I'm gonna run you over. Buda got hawked again this time instead yeah, of. DK I, th- I thought about that. Yeah. I'm like Buda's like. Wait a minute! Everybody <laughs> says I don't get enough interceptions. That's my dang interception. Right. Paul should give the the toss up to Darren and I, and we should record it and see who gets who gets the ball. <laughs> um. By the way, uh, he was our post-game radio guest along with Christian Kirk, and I asked him how many— Wait, wait, who was— uh, I'm sorry, who Isaiah Simmons. Oh, Isaiah, Isaiah Simmons. Simmons was our post. So I said, how many different positions did you play? And he said, um, hang on. And he's counted in his head, and he's like, 
Four. I think I played four. He thinks. He thinks he played four. Might have been more, might have been less, but he thinks he played four. So there you go. That's always you know, going to be a comes post, in education. He's you know, well, no, I mean, you know, it's it's a blur out there. You know, how many different spots did Vance Joseph utilize me in? So, all right, that leads us to the final topic: Patrick Peterson. Oh, I thought you were going to say Larry Fitzgerald. Thank goodness, because they, play, we, the we Vi- have... they play the Vikings That's next right, week, and he always makes these references about Minnesota. If one of the receivers, blah blah blah. <laughs> one of us here has been to Larry's lake house. Is Pat P staying in Larry's lake house while he's a Viking? Uh, that I don't Darren, know. Darren, do tell. Come on. <laughs> that one I don't know. I'm I'm super curious about Patrick. I was listening to his podcast to see what he had to say about the Cardinals, and unfortunately. Brian McFadden talked for 90% of the segment where they were talking about playing the Cardinals, uh, which I thought was interesting. And maybe Hello, it's just producer needs to step in. Is that by design? You think? I'm wondering if it was yeah, because maybe, when yeah. Patrick did talk, he didn't have it's a business yeah. trip. I this is I'm going to treat this no different than any other game, which uh, we know is a bald face lie. Yeah. Well, what love, are the odds? Love Patrick, that's that's this is a good opportunity to say that's cap Patrick. <laughs> That is that's cap. Well, I, you know hey, you have this circled on your schedule. No cap is Mike Zimmer saying, "Hey Pat, uh, I don't want to hear anything that's going on the Cardinals bulletin board this week." Yeah. Well, so they probably shut that down early. Well, all you I'm need, guessing. I, I did notice at one point Brian McFadden made the point when he was he was basically I I felt like Brian McFadden was Patrick's lawyer a little bit. So when he gets the <laughs> intro, he's basically and I'm paraphrasing, but he basically starts talking about all these people don't you know. You know, people take things out of context and, you know, when you say when you meaning he's talking to Patrick, when you say certain things, you're not talking about the organization. You're not talking about the fan base. You're talking about one particular person or two particular people or whatever. You know, obviously, when he said some things about Steve Kime and um, it's just going to be interesting. But I he did answer one question, which was and and I'll do uh, respect to Brian McFadden. He was he was pretty like. He was like, what kind of uh, reception do you get after some of the things you've said and, and all the things? Well, how do you think you're going to be received? Patrick said he didn't know, which I thought was kind of interesting. How, sh- how should they receive him, though? Uh, personally, if you're asking me how do I think he should be received, uh, am I disappointed with some of the things that Patrick said uh, after the fact? Yeah, but I understand where he's coming from, and I've been around this team this for long enough, you know, when Anquan said what he said and when Bertrand Barry was angry at the end of his career and, and there's other lower-level players that would get upset, I know why they were upset. I get it because they're human beings and I understand why they felt a little, you know, scorned. And people are going to react that way. But personally, I see a guy that was drafted fifth overall in 2011 who is one of the best players in this uh, franchise's history that uh, was a part of some of the better teams that have been around since this team moved to Arizona, and he was a big reason why. I know not everybody always agreed with some of the things he said, but I'm a Patrick fan. There were a number of times when Patrick Peterson would say something, and I was there live, and I know kind of how he was saying it, and it's just that's just how Patrick was. And I knew when you saw it in print, people were going to be like, raise their eyebrow and go, oh, my God. But I he just... He wasn't that guy, and I just I I would think you would cheer him for what he gave you. Yeah. It was it was he wanted to stay. Okay, I have no problem with a team wanting to move on from him. He wanted to stay. It's not like he now again. I understand the fans that are still burned by a trade request. I understand fans that feel burned because he got 
in trouble and suspended. I understand all that. But ultimately, I feel like he should be cheered when he comes back. I know there are going to be plenty of fans that don't feel that way, and that's totally cool. I understand why, too. Yeah, some of his quotes and how they read were quite different than how he said it. I feel that way, yes. If that makes sense, because we were all standing there in front of his locker when he would do that. And, and yeah, you would sort of wince and go, oh, boy. I don't know if he totally understood how they'd be taken. Right. And, and, you know, uh, and look, where it started to go sideways was in the Steve Wilkes era. And that was a disaster on all fronts. It, was. it just was. He was he was traded and, poorly, and he was frustrated. And he saw a yeah, lot of the people yeah. that I mean, that was the first year there was no Tyron Matthew, Rashad Johnson was gone, Gerard Powers was gone. That was a that was a defensive backs group that was very close. He was the last one standing, and now he was on a terrible team. And, and he, he wasn't being used the was, way he, he was, wanted to be used. Yeah, absolutely. The way he should have been used. Where he should have been used. It was a system that made him the square peg in a round hole. Agreed. And then he went off after they lost to Denver, got absolutely jack stomped on was, Thursday wasn't night it football. Philadelphia when he thought it was the it was the Emmanuel yeah. Sanders touchdown oh, yeah, yeah, where yeah. they burnt the second or third string. Uh, and what was his name? Rudy something, the second or third. Rudy Ford. Rudy yeah. Ford, and he got torched, and Pat went bananas on the sideline. I can tell it now because it never sh- should have been a scheme where Rudy Ford is assigned one-on-one in space this to is, Emmanuel Sanders. And Patrick Peterson wanted Emmanuel Sanders all game. He wanted to travel with him. We wanted to shadow him. He wanted that assignment in prime time. He didn't get it. It cost the Cardinals. It was idiotic. We can say it now. They never should have used that game plan, and that – not long after that, literally a couple of days is where the whole trade request well, came out. And again, and not to excuse the situation, but the reality is if you're in a with a first-year coach, you're not thinking he's going to be fired after just one season. So you're thinking, I'm going to have to deal with a scheme for two, three, four years? Hell no. And so I, I, I do understand that. Again, I wish it hadn't become public. And they, he let it become public by whether it was Brian McFadden or Deion Sanders or whoever said it at the yeah, time. It was Deion. But it was like that That was a bad thing. But I, I, it's funny. With all that said, do I believe after Cliff got hired and then uh, Patrick was at the golf tournament saying, I want to be a Cardinal for life, do I think he changed because there was a new coach and he knew there'd be a new system? Yeah. I do. I don't think he wanted to go anywhere. And I do believe he wanted to stay after this after this past year. So you can you can say what you want uh and I am sure it'll all be said but you know he, he he's just never been the same player since the suspension. Yeah. He just hasn't. I, I always I always like when we talk about former players cuz this is where you guys' passion comes out. We should call this the <laughs> former segment. Because well, you guys well, get not very around, hard it's a easier to Well, there's so many more layers, especially yes. this Pat P situation, yeah. than just what the surface level presents in a 10-second soundbite. You can't encapsulate Pat's P situation no. in 10 seconds. So, But you did read my mind. That was the question I was going to throw out to you guys. What sort of reception do you think he gets? And I think it'll be 95% positive. I would agree. I, I think mostly positive. But it won't be 100. It wouldn't be if Larry came back. It wouldn't be if Larry came back? It wouldn't be 100? No, Larry came? I'm saying it, if Larry came back, it would be 100. Sure, yeah. yeah. It's not going to be that for Patrick. No, no, Although I guess if Larry went somewhere else, I guess we'd see what kind of feelings everybody would have. <laughs> right. But again, right. Patrick didn't want to go anywhere. Yeah. yeah, well, check the Vikings team plane and see if Fitz is on it when it departs Sunday night. Back now, to his hometown. Now, I will say this with the Vikings and Patrick Peterson. I mean, if you're Patrick in the moment now... 
it's got to be kind of hard because you're walking in here. You just lost, had a, a relatively bad loss in overtime against the Bengals. You just watched the team you walked away from, and you're saying they should have re-signed you. Dominate on defense. As This has got to be a little tough for him. But if they re-sign re him, do they sign J.J. Watt? No, but, but I, I think, look, I think it, it's clear now they were never going to re-sign him. Mm -hmm. I mean, Patrick's yeah. basically said that. I mean, unless he was willing to play for not what he was willing to play for, he wasn't coming back. They were moving on. They wanted to go in a different direction. So The question is, do they start targeting Pat P by design? In reading some of the accounts of that game where the Vikings lost at Cincinnati and they got down 21-7 and they came back and they lost in overtime, his fellow corner, Bashad Breeland, had a really poor game. Got torched. He had a PI or two, and so he was a real weak link, the opposing cornerback. So, okay, he's going to see targets based on the first game, but what about Patrick Peterson? Does Pat Pat Peterson travel with DeAndre Hopkins? Well, I travel is a certain word because I don't DeAndre Hopkins isn't anywhere but on the left. But does Pat P go in and ask for that assignment? Does he say, you know what, I want to be Jalen Ramsey? Didn't they? They asked Patrick Peterson who were the tougher receivers to to cover. And he didn't even mention DeAndre Hopkins. It's true. So I think it's true. Brian McFadden brought up DeAndre Hopkins, and they talked about it briefly. And and they, he had nothing but praise for D Hop. So, but again, that might go back to the bulletin board thing. But the fact that he didn't mention yeah. him and this and his toughest yeah. receivers to to cover. With all due respect to Patrick, he also thinks they're playing the Titans this year. He said a couple times, and they're not. So, <laughs> I, I'm so, fa I'm fascinated. I think um, this is a, the game within the yeah. game. I think is just yeah. awesome. All right. So to recap, Felipe's never heard of Billy Ray Cyrus. Um, Bolton boards. Have you heard of Bolton boards? Are you aware of what a Bolton board is, or only a digital board? Digital board, yes. The other no. white, whiteboard. How about in between? Being, are you being serious right now? Whiteboard, you don't know what a yes. board is? Chalkboard, yes. You don't know what a bulletin board is? Oh my god! <laughs> I not a no. Because he, he had this. I look know you not a no, but I thought you were kind of being sarcastic. <laughs> that, or something. Uh, I, I didn't want to get judged. Let me know? give you another sobering <laughs> moment. So we're at the gym. It was last Thursday night, right? I'm trying to get my 14 year old punk uh, get some muscle mass on him, right? So there's Polly Pencilneck. We're at the gym. And the game isn't on. There's tennis that's on, but there's no NFL opener that's on, and they got a million TVs. So I wander over to the front desk, and there's a 20-year-old you know, young man working. I said, hey, any chance? I think a lot of us appreciate it. Maybe you were able to throw the, the TV on to, uh, to NBC and, and, and the opener. We got Bucks and Cowboys. He looks at me, and he goes, okay. And I'm like, oh, boy, this, this isn't going to go well. <laughs> so he wanders over like three or four minutes later, and he has, he has the, the remote control, and he's like, NBC? And I'm like, yeah, and it's on NBC. It's Channel 12. He's like, Channel 12. And I'm like, and he pauses, and I'm like, and he goes, yeah, all I do is watch Netflix. And I go, I go so you don't have a comprehension of just the standard TV system and TV channels? And he said, no, I watch Netflix. I just want to say, Paul, these days when you're streaming and you go on YouTube TV or Hulu TV or all these streaming platforms mm – -hmm. I mean, you don't have channels on there. You just click on it's true. NBC. No, we understand you don't have it show, channels. It's show titles, right? It's just show titles. But so he doesn't the, know what one of the four major networks yeah. are or just how a regular sort of maybe cable system works, no? I, no. I personally okay. have forgotten too, so okay. I just want to say I use YouTube TV okay. and it's just like the okay. title of the channel and right. the game on there and it's just gotcha. you just click it. Okay. It's that simple. All right. Well, <laughs> I, I, I know it's – I'm, I'm officially declaring right now happy hour. That'll do it for Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation.